It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2022, and you're listening to episode 599 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 37 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. This is Mary. I'm Brodor. So who are you and what's your gaming history? (laughs) Well, I don't know how to answer that. (laughs) I know that gaming history is easier. I didn't get into it as young as I would have liked to because I didn't have friends. But since about 3.5 hit, the changeover from 3.0 to 3.5 is when I started gaming. And I've been doing it since. I'll give you at least a little bit of gaming history on Mary. She ran the game where I played a Waymick. That is true. That is true. Uh, we've that heard a idea. lot about that game. It was fun. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was perfect. I played a Waymick. The only thing that would have been better is if I was playing a Noel riding a Waymick and I was playing both characters. And they both had shoes. Yes. So to put this in context, you've been gaming for 20 odd years. Yeah. With a lot of varied systems and, and games in the mix there. Because for a while I had one of those groups that was always the new shiny. So it was whatever the new system came out, we were playing that. You've so. been gaming longer than I have. I was my late 20s before I started gaming. Yeah. So I have not quite reached the 20 year mark. I'm at about 15. All right. So announcement wise, Fear of the Con still coming up here. We're getting close. Get your games out there. Get signed up for games. Get your stuff ready to go. Once again, fearthecon.com. Yes, Broder, why are you gesturing I'm, at me? I'm, I'm going to run two games because I'm going to run my backer game. Also going to run a Savage Worlds game to love letter to the combat rules for the new edition. And it's going to be just this gory, ugly, ammo flying, guts just showering over the face bloodbath. I can't wait. You know what I'm terrified to ask is where this is going to be set. In the future, Dan. It's a science fiction game. It's an actual bug hunt, like a space hulk. Really? Aliens. Yeah, it is guns, 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 guts, blood, chainswords. I can't wait. Yeah, my concern there was this was going to be set in some contemporary event or something. I was was thinking New York with uh, all those bikers. Because we know how he feels about bicyclers. Yes. Oh, my God. So, I want to make a superhero, right? In my right hand is a paintball gun, but it's got those police-issue pepper spray balls that are very, very painful. My left hand is, like Captain America, a shield. But my shield is made of a car door with a polycarbonate window, right? <laughs> so that it won't break. And so I get to bash bicyclists with my car door, but also at great distance shoot them with a very painful paintball gun that also covers them in a cloud of, you know, uh, pepper and very you know, hot, burny to the eyes and Did you watch chemicals. the two seasons of Happy? <laughs> oh, my I God. I love that Happy. show. Right? Yes. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Uh, when I was watching Happy. Smoothie. Because <laughs> uh. I think it's what, in the first episode of season two, where he's having this fantasy of himself with a, was a chainsaw arm or what it was. Just like beheading everyone as they rode past them. I don't remember, but and uh, I, inst- I was watching it. And I'm like, 
That's Brodor. I'm like, if Brodor's not watching this show, I can sell him on it with this one scene alone. Dave Wallace of the Fantasy Shop once said that when they came to him and asked him, did you expect Mike to actually shoot this particular place up, Dave was going to lie and say no. <laughs> no, I did not expect anything like this to happen. <laughs> All right, so fearthecon.com. And if everything Broder just said offended you, that's fine. There's lots of games run by lots of people, including, once again, we're looking for some child-friendly games. I will be running one where you won't be beheading Bicycles, I assume. I mean, this is what the kids want to do. Which case, I don't know. Hey, never put it past the kids. Uh, yeah. It's true. You know, never the children are the future. And if the children yeah. want to decapitate bicyclists, I'm you on know, board. I tell you, okay, so brief aside, before we get down to the main topic today, there is something that I have been debating if I want to do this episode or not. Because playing in this West Marches game I'm in right now where there are children GMing, I have been shocked to see how very different their lines are, like what's acceptable to them as opposed to what's acceptable to an adult. And there are topics they will get into and things they will deal with that I think most adults would shy away from. And I am so hesitant to do this episode because I'm afraid people would take it wildly out of context or misunderstand what I'm trying to communicate and think this was me encouraging this or something like that. Yeah, I have run for children and been taken aback by the level of violence they yeah, bring. Well, to the and, and I'll just give one example, just one example, and then we're going to roll into the topic because I don't want to really derail this. But one of the things that I had to adapt to fairly quickly was to us, children are this completely separate ontological other. We put them in a particular category, right? When something happens, a plane crash, for example, they always even say 153 people died, 24 of which were children. All right, so do what you will with that information, but you guys know what I'm talking about. This is how this stuff gets reported. We treat, in most of our role-playing games, I dare say all of our role-playing games, that one of the givens that we don't even need to discuss is that violence against children is not on the table. That's not going to be something we deal with in the game. For them, they don't care. To them, it's their peers. It's not some other. It's them. And so I had to adapt to that because I was playing under a child dungeon master and stuff started happening. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, my internal rules are you don't do this. If a kid is running at you with a knife, you're supposed to find some other way to solve the problem. Nope. Smack that little fucker. <laughs> but I don't know. Once again, I don't want to get too much into that because I think people are going to misunderstand my perplexedness. They're going to un- they're going to misunderstand my vexation as somehow endorsing it. I, I, I think that being misunderstood is the nature of the podcast, though. And I don't mean this podcast. I mean, in general, I think sometimes we're misunderstood or people, you know, maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe what we think is taken out of context. So what we're going to talk about today is there was a post on our Patreon by a gentleman who I assume it's a gentleman. I don't know for sure, but. Someone who's posting under the name Leif, and I'm assuming they're using the traditional Leaf if you want the more 
American pronunciation or anglicized pronunciation of the name. But they post it in response to our episode on vertical creativity. All right. So for anyone who missed it, if you go back just a few shows, we did a two-parter, one on vertical creativity or going deeper into an idea, and one about horizontal creativity, about playing a diversity of ideas, even if the diversity of ideas were not otherwise as deep. And we talked about that at length, and I'm not going to retread those because you can go back and listen to those. But when Leif heard the episode on vertical creativity, one of the points that we made, I think, multiple times in that show was that a vertical creativity does allow the game master to have more control over what the players are playing and to better drill down on exploring certain subjects and themes. Which was one of the reasons we did the follow-up. Yes. Because horizontal creativity gives way more control to the players. Right. And so we took intentionally opposing views and we argued with ourselves, once again, by design, between those two episodes. But what Leif posts in response to that one, and I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's a fairly in-depth post, but I'll read at least a little of it. He says, I think the idea that, quote, if the GM tells us he wants us to play some type of game, we would play that kind of game because he, she, is doing all the work, end quote, is flawed. In my opinion, the main strength of RPGs is that they are shared imagining slash story. If the GM is simply telling a story and the rest of the players are only there for the ride, we are not playing to the strengths of the medium. Uh, I'm going to skip down a few lines. The key is collaborative storytelling. So instead of saying, no, you cannot play that, I think the correct response is, why do you want to play that? How can we weave this into the original premise in a way that makes it more entertaining? And... Leif, I, let me start by saying we're actually in full agreement with you that the absolute strength of a role-playing game is the fact that it is a collaborative experience that leans on and builds on the creativity, the contribution, and the knowledge of everyone that is at the table that the game master certainly should not have some kind of moral monopoly on what gets into the story. In fact, the suggestion that you gave, at least the part I read, ties in pretty well to how I describe my model of GMing, which is yes, but. You know, yes, I will allow you to play that, but let's see what we can do to tone it down or draw it into the world a little more organically. Yeah, so, I think what I would add to it is that in the examples given, let's use Chad's dwarf game. Chad had an idea. He wanted to run a game where everyone is dwarves and it was dealing with dwarven politics and a dwarven kingdom. And a bunch of the players came back and said, well, I want to be an elf. I want to be this. I want to be that. And he went ahead and tried to run it. Broder's comment around those type of stories is usually the GM has the idea. Play what the GM wants you to play. My take on it is if the GM has fixated on the idea, this is the campaign they want to play. If you're not on board with it and you're not going to go with what they're wanting to run, run a different game. Well, because well, the GM is not going to be happy well, hold, and the hold, players will then not be happy. Hold that thought because you're going exactly where I want to go, at least in concept. I'm not going to argue that specific point per se, but at least in concept, you're going where I want yeah. this to go. So, but hold on, hold on. Let me 
lay out a little more foundation. All right? <laughs> and then I promise I will unleash you all. But I absolutely, and I think all of us here are of the opinion that, yes, everyone should have a stake and a say and a vote in what's going on. And the creativity and the ideas and the passions of the players are not automatically less valuable than the game masters. Now, I think what you guys may hear on the show sometimes is Brodor and I in particular have been so burned by players who are absolutely, well, to use the word Chad used, that they were almost abusive in their behavior, that a lot of the things they did were very socially off-kilter, that Broder and I tend to facetiously, or at least semi-facetiously, throw in some hyperbole and overstated points where we make these kind of snarky comments like beheading bicyclists, which <laughs> no one here is actually a serial killer. And yet, yet. But, you know, it's these things where we talk about being the, the GM party because we're frustrated by the fact that there were games where we did do the lion's share of the work and the players just ran completely unfairly roughshod over us. And it was a reverse situation. The players showed zero respect for the contributions of the game master. All right. Now that I don't want to retread too much because you'll find that sort of discussion scattered over now. 16 plus years of this show. But there is a thought experiment, though, that I came up with while I was reading Leif's post. So the short version is, Leif, we are absolutely on the same page as you. We are absolutely on board with what you're saying. You know, if we stated otherwise on the show, that's us being dramatic and, and silly. That's not us seriously espousing those views. But his post did raise a thought exercise in my mind. Let's say that we're about to start a new campaign. And I put on the table, and everybody puts on the table, their ideas for a campaign. Who's going to GM it? What setting? What system? What general concept? What we're playing? And when we get down, we do our rounds of voting, and we get down to the final two ideas. Everybody at the table likes both ideas, but the GM prefers one idea just a little bit, okay? So we're not talking the players hate it, the GM loves it, or the GM hates it, the players love it. Everybody likes both ideas, but you have to make a decision. It's not a complete unanimity. The GM slightly prefers one idea, and the players slightly prefer the other idea, so we're talking about 100% on board versus 99%, 95% on board. Who wins the tie? That's the question I want to ask. Now, if the players hate an idea, don't play it. Find something else. If the GM hates the idea, don't play it. Play something else. But if you have to pick which wins here, I'll start with a simple bifurcation of the issue that we can nuance as we talk about it does the number of players represent a collective enjoyment that ought to win or does the gm doing the lion's share of the work mean they ought to win and I, there's many ways you could approach this but who wins and why you're gonna hate my answer am i the gm or am i a player would you answer differently based on that yes okay i'll ask it to you both ways first situation you're the gm if I'm the GM, I'm going with what the players are more excited about. 
because for me, what I want out of the game more than anything else is I want my players to have had an incredible time. And so I am willing to enjoy it less if they are going to enjoy it more. Wayne, I'm going to pause you right there before I phrase it the other way, because regardless of which side I am on, that is the exact same answer I would give Hmm. is I would typically go with the players because as a game master, I view myself first and foremost as yes, I ought to be someone who's enjoying what's going on. And in the past, I have allowed players to run roughshod over me in ways I should not have. I didn't stand up for my own interests in any way, shape or form. And that was a problem of mine that I have to face. But I always have seen that the game master is more so than not the entertainer at the table. And so if I was game master or player, I would say if we have the idea that most of the table is excited about, and because of the fact that my excitement is so vicarious in nature, it is so dependent upon the excitement of other people, it's contagious, that I would go that route regardless of whether I was a player or game master. Now let me flip the script and ask, what if you are the player? As the player, I think differently because I know not every GM thinks like I do. You know, where my excitement of the game comes from your excitement of the game. Not everyone feeds on that energy the same way. There are specific GMs I would look at and say, this is a GM that they need to be excited because then they're going to hit it on all cylinders. And so typically, if I'm a player, I'm going to vote on the GM side of it because I can get into games that I think I don't like the concept of as well, but I need the GM to have that energy and bring that energy. So honestly, in both cases, I vote against myself. I either vote for the player's side because as a GM, I want that energy or as a player, I want the GM to be getting that energy and bringing it. So yeah, Yeah, I would come down on the player's side in both scenarios. Hmm. And I would come down on the GM side in both scenarios. Okay, why? Because, specifically speaking, as a GM first, this is one of the things where, and as long as we're talking about, everybody likes both things. It's just a question right, of right, just right. a little bit more on one side or the other. Yeah, my vote drastically changes if it's not Oh, right, right. No, that, this is irrelevant if it's not that. But so, for me, I know me, and I get tired of things. I get not lazy, I don't have the enthusiasm anymore. So the thing that I am more excited about is the thing that is likely to go on longer. Like if I, as the GM, am more into an idea and the players are on board with it, even if they're not as excited as I am, the game is likely to last much longer just for me as a GM than if the players were more excited than I was, if that makes sense. No, it does. And you would feel the same way if you were the player. And if I were the player, I would want the GM to be excited about it because as a player, I can make my own little world in this corner of the, whatever we're doing. Like I yeah. can I can modify my ideas to fit the world and get my things. It's much easier for that to happen. So I would rather have them have the enthusiasm over my that extra degree of, of, the, of my desires. Yeah, okay. And I follow you much the same way that I've created monster subcultures in a couple games. <laughs> The way mix I wrote, yeah. what they were like in your world. And one of Chad's games, I created a whole null society and such. And so, yeah, you do get to still kind of play in your zone of things. Now, I'm curious, though, because there was something you said in there, and I want to understand if this is important as you made it sound. Is part of your reason for voting this way because a long-lasting campaign to you is 
more valuable than a shorter campaign. All other things being equal. I guess yes, because that's the thing I've experienced less. Because in my gaming history, most games I've tended to either play in or run have not gone on for that long. Or if they go on for that long, we're not playing very often. So it's like the more interest that can be kept for running for a longer period of time is the rarer thing for me. So that's what I kind of want to, you know, engine. Yeah, it's always interesting. And your early gaming experiences seem to help develop those flavors. That's why I like six month campaigns, because my early gaming career we didn't finish campaigns. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, I want that end. I want the wrap up. And then I can come back and do another story arc with it. Yeah. But I go for six month campaigns, which means if it's every other week, it ends up being a year long campaign or such. But it's that focus of the length of it isn't as important to me as completing it. And and I guess when I say I want it to go longer, I mean, I want it to have enough time for a story to develop and come to fruition. Right. And that, that in my experience, has been curtailed in a lot of games that people were either uninterested in or, or dropped out of. Or, you know, when that interest with the GM wasn't there, right. I didn't get that story. Okay. So, Brodor, I know where you're headed. So, I just need to wet my whistle. <laughs> all right. And first of all, I want to say thank you to Leif for responding and contributing because trying to do my own why we game podcast thing just to get people to contribute and give feedback it's rare relative to the number of people that actually listen to the show yes positive or negative feedback just giving me feedback lets me know someone's listening and and it makes me feel better so i very very much appreciate that now with all due respect i think that leif confuses my sort of hyperbole and animosity as a game master toward players with what I think is right about how the game should be handled. Of course, I recognize that it is a collaborative thing. And I think that over the years, I've probably proven that. And and Leif, please forgive me. I'm not trying to sound defensive. It's just my natural default setting. So I'm not trying to be a jerk, I I promise. But I think it's undeniable that the burden of labor and production is on the game master, right? Even if we all can see that it's a collaborative effort that we're working together to build a story, right? Think about throwing a dinner party. I just asked you to bring the cheese plate. That's all you got to do. Now, when you show up and the cheese plate is just Swiss and some cherries, and I'm like, why do you have cherries on it? Like... I I I I invited all these people. I got all this beer. I got all this wine. I I I got jugglers. But there's cherries. There's something I I could eat. (laughs) I got everybody else to show up, and you brought me some bullshit Swiss cheese and cherries. Can you change it to maraschino cherries? Because then I'd be on board. Because like if somebody brought me a plate of Swiss cheese and like regular cherries. I just, I can't be upset about this. My, my point is, is Except that... Except get rid of all that cheese. Our, <laughs> our effort in this endeavor is not equal. Right. It, it isn't. And anybody that thinks that it is, is Chad. So, <laughs> <laughs> but with that said, honestly, 
I always want my partner to be happier, right? Like, I am a woman f***ing some dude when we game. I'm probably not going to come. In fact, when I talk to my friends afterward, the first question they're going to ask me is that, oh my God, did you come? But as long as my players came, I'm cool, right? Like, you guys had a good time. Maybe I walked right up to the line. Maybe I got some edging in. I don't know. But, of course, I want you, the collective, the group, to be satisfied with my efforts. So much so that, for me, the worst, absolute worst game sessions I run were the game that I ran last Friday night when my players had a good time and I didn't because I didn't feel like I'd put forth my best effort, even though they had fun and they liked the game, I felt like a failure because the game wasn't up to a standard that I had set for myself. Right. So, you know, I let me for a moment torture your house party metaphor and we'll, we'll put the particular type of cherries aside. But I think in a way that kind of illustrates how I view the situation, because On the one hand, I recognize in hosting the dinner party that I am, of course, taking on the lion's share of work and liability and probably more than anyone else. I mean, unless someone's just a real outlier, that they're just a great life of the party or a total buzzkill, I am probably the most responsible for the success of the party. And even then, if someone I invited is the life of the party or the buzzkill, I'm the one that let them through the door. Sometimes you need a ringer. Yeah. Sometimes you invite Brodor and you get a good bottle of whiskey. Yeah. And you need somebody to be the Saul Goodman of the party. I get it. Right, right. But, you know, I think, though, part of it is there comes a point where it's too far over the line, meaning that the guests are not respecting my property. They're not respecting my ability to have a good time. They're just running me ragged. I'm getting nothing out of it. And so it's kind of like, you know, where is my take in all of this? Right. But I think on the flip side, when I agreed to host the party, I did that knowing I'm taking on the lion's share of the work and not all that work is fun. You know, it's a lot more fun to show up to a party, have a good time and leave than it is to be the one who has to clean up the house afterward. It's a lot more fun to show up and go crazy. And if, I mean, if it's at your house, right, and somebody spills a beer, yeah, the person should stick around and help. But ultimately, who is it that knows where the paper towels and the carpet cleaner and all that stuff is located? You know, this goes back to the host knows they are taking on some degree of this. I don't know, risk, I hate to describe it that way, because but they're, they're accepting a cost, I guess. And that's not to say that should be taken advantage of. You know, you can go to a party and be a total dick and take advantage of the person and litter all over the lawn and not even throw your own trash away, much less offer to stay a little late and help clean up or you knock a beer over and whistle and walk away. I mean, there are certainly behaviors that go over the line. Don't get me wrong. But I think in hosting the party, I have accepted that I'm I'm doing the lion's share of the work to please a large number of people. I get that. So come to the f***ing party on time and bring the goddamn thing you were said you were going to bring. That's all I'm asking is show up 
Do your part. Don't be an asshole and do your part. Yeah. You're not and actually... I'm a, and I'm a dick for that. I'm a dick for wanting you to come to the party and be goddamn respectful and bring the thing that you said you were going to bring. And that makes me an asshole. You know what? Don't come to my fucking party. I mean, it depends. But, did you pick the theme or did they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're not really just asking for that. Let's say you put everything together. You have the house clean. You have music going. Everyone shows up and just sits there and doesn't talk. The party is a failure. No one had fun because you need and their it, involvement. And it's my fault. If they don't do a goddamn thing <laughs> and they show up to my party with their little platters of Swiss cheese and crappy cherries and they don't participate in the party, it's still my f***ing fault. No, it's garbage. My neighbors are going to call the cops at some point here. Yeah, no, it's not. And from a game master standpoint, the way I look at it, depending what game you're running, let's say I'm running a masks game. Masks needs very little prep work. I can come to the table. I give the scenario. I present things. But if the players aren't bringing their game, if they aren't making it fun and interacting, it's a pointless, worthless game. And who do they blame, Wayne? Do they blame themselves for sitting around in a group of people with their thumbs up their asses, not participating? No. Yeah, they I've blame got, you, I, I, who vacuumed your house and cleaned your shitter and made all this stuff and made sure that they had the charades and all the other games, and then they sat there on their fucking thumbs and then they're mad at you for being a failure. I don't, no, I, I my mean, players. No, I, don't, I don't think so. I have good players. My players will apologize if they weren't on or if something was on their mind and they weren't bringing their A game because they're my friends and they're there with me to have a good game. And I didn't prep the house because I came at Chad's house and Chad <laughs> cooked us dinner and he brings the dinner in and he put a lot into the setting. You know, even if he's just playing his character. He's putting a lot into it as well, and everyone around the table is, because I don't play with crappy people. <laughs> well, I, you always, even at a house party, you always have the one guy who spills the beer and walks away. Yeah. But inevitably, when it's at your house, you always have those two or three people who are, haven't left at the end, and they're always like, hey, can I help you clean up, even if it's not my mess? Yeah. It depends on the person, and you have both. Yeah. We have good people. <laughs> Now, well, see, is- and I guess this does kind of loop back around to some of what I think. And once again, I don't mean to pretend like I know exactly what Leif was saying. I mean, he can speak for himself, but I think that may have been some of what he was picking up on is Broder and I have had such negative experiences. We've had well, such, to use the party metaphor, such bad house guests. Do you know the other major difference? We haven't touched on it, but. The other major difference is until recently, typically you guys are the only GMs in your groups. That's never been the case for me. Yeah. I've always been at tables where we spread it around and we trade places GMing. Yes. I I will have the history of you are always the GM. These people never step up and run a game. They don't know what it's like. You don't get that chance to get out behind the screen and sit where they're sitting. So we approach things differently because of that. No, yeah. you're absolutely yeah. right that in my particular regular gaming group, with the exception of my buddy, the actor who moved, I am exclusively the game master. I think that does, just from talking to other people in different gaming groups, the GMs that are the eternal GM and never have anyone from their group step up and run games, 
tend to think about the dynamic between players and GMs differently. And that that's something that rings very true because I come from a I did not want to GM for years. It took a very long time for me to GM. I was primarily a player for for a very long time, which gave me a lot of freedom to like play around in somebody else's world and get very comfortable there. Yeah. And then but when I did want to step up and try it or if I had to rebuild the gaming group with a whole bunch of people who had never gamed before and I'm the only one with experience, it changes that dynamic of well, now I have to be the GM, so I really have to be invested. Yeah, and there was something I think Chad said some number of episodes back. I think it was Chad. And once again, this is a bit of proverb or axiom. I don't don't take it too literally. But the comment he made was, game masters make the best players. Because of the fact that there is that built-in empathy there that you know what it means to set up the house, to create the games, to buy the snacks, to clean up the house... And this is why I will certainly say I'm an advocate that even if you're not good at it, I think everyone should GM at least something somewhere in their career just to understand what goes into it and to understand because it makes you a better player. You learn how to feed into the game better and you learn how to support what either the game master is doing or even just contribute your own character in a helpful way. You know, you learn a lot of that stuff by seeing the other perspective. And I would say that the same thing's true in reverse. It's just not a very common scenario that I think game masters need to be players because of the fact that that gives you a different perspective of, wow, it's really not fun to constantly be told, no, you don't get to do that. No, you don't get to build that. No, you don't get to collaborate or contribute. It's just... The situation where someone is only a GM and has never played is far, far, far less common than someone who has only played and never GM'd. Yeah, I think groups that regularly trade the GMs in and out think about gaming differently just because each one knows, okay, for this game I'm a player, the next game I could be the GM. And it's not that same dynamic. You feel, I hate to use the term peer but you feel more like everyone around you is a peer. They're in the same boat as you. And in reality, we're all in the same boat playing the game, working together. But I think it builds a stronger GM camaraderie with your other players if they've been your GM and you've been their GM. You just think about things differently. Cool. I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Once again, check the show notes. Probably not a whole lot in there this time around. Just a link to Fear the Con. But I hate to say just a link to Fear of the Con. It's like saying just gold bullion. No. <laughs> if you're if you're going to come to town early, you should text me. It's 314-482-7088. If you're going to come to town early, let me know. Is that actually your phone number? That is my actual okay, phone okay. number. Because I was going to say, because if you're just pranking somebody, I have to legally edit that out. No, that so. is my actual phone number. If people are coming to town and they want to get together on Wednesday or Thursday, I am on f***ing board. Okay. Yeah, and I think there is some stuff people are looking at. And I also did set up, so I am off not the entire week before Fear the Con, but I'm off, I think... Wednesday and Thursday, I think, or maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'd have to check my schedule. But I did take off a part of that week. So I also do intend to participate in any pre-con stuff. And I'm not going to get my phone number on air, but I will at least give it to a few select people so they know how to reach me. Or, of course, I'm easy to find on Discord. 
I just plan so, on freaking out that I forgot something until the con's over, and then I can finally relax again. Yeah, no, I feel I, you. I feel I, you. I am excited about the whirlwind. I'm excited about seeing other booters. I'm excited about the games I signed up for. I'm excited about the games I'm going to run. I'm excited about the hugs and the seeing the people in the real world. And hopefully I get to I get to see Leif and give him a big old bear hug and he can learn that I'm not as big and as full as people think. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. As for us, you guys have a great week in great games and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2022. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.